pants poster said We going ultra Yeah We going ultra black I got a toast to that We don't fold the crack We going Occasion we rose to that Fuck on postal We going ultra black Watching the global change Hop in the coldest range Hit boy on the beat This shit poster slap We going ultra black We going We going Rhythm and blues, pop, rock, soul to jazz, till my toes attack. How I look being told, I'm not supposed to brag. Nobody fought, I tell the truth, I know what's facts. We ultra black, grace stone, skin tone, but multi that. Multiple colors, we come in all shades, mocha black. Except where I'm at and I fight me on it. Emotional stares like I might be wanted. Pitch black like the night, I'm ultra black. Sand for the sun, reruns, jokes are black. Oh yes, oh yes, God bless success. We going ultra black. Like the hey, 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 it's been a while. And in the midst of the last podcast season over we had with Congressman Maxwell Frost, and by the way, if you haven't even listened to that podcast, please check it out. It's not every day that we have a nationally recognized political figure on the podcast. But back to the matter at hand. It's been a while, and I feel like as the podcast, as a podcast that focused primarily on black topics surrounding black culture, it would be a disservice if we did not try and touch on as many topics in pop culture as possible. And if you haven't noticed, unlike in the first two seasons, I am not doing it every week turnaround. And quite frankly, my capacity to do that has been long extinguished before I even made that decision. But as it may be, black culture does not stop. And so I have to continue to keep going and what, you know, I just think it's important to even do a podcast. But what is black black culture? Can we actually name or can we actually pinpoint it? Can we feel it? Or is it like how the Supreme Court once described like pornography? And I, you know, I can't describe it, but I know it when I see it. Now, that's not to say black culture is something that's forbidden. But, you know, maybe if in certain sections of America, that's probably what it is. Right. It's just foreign thing that we're not supposed to talk about. We're not supposed to even address. And that's why it's not at the center of, you know, the white gaze. But that's where we find ourselves in today's episode. Not necessarily identifying what black culture is or is not, but rather, where do we see it? Our consumption of it. How do we identify it when it's readily apparent that it's clearly aimed for us? And also, we try to ask a question that plagues us. Like, why is it that a certain element of street culture is so readily apparent within or prevalent within black culture. What makes it cool? What makes something so cool, even noteworthy that for most part, most people would try to move away from it. The danger of actually centering whiteness within the conversation is that we have this uncomfortable thing of not really wanting to address the elephant in the room about both the beauty and the ugliness of black culture. And that merges so synchronically into how we see ourselves. Now, whiteness obviously is the default understanding of how we want to view society. But how does this apply to us? As I say with most black people, we walk in two worlds. We walk in the world in which this, the, the default white world, and we walk within our own world. And then so when we see something that is readily identifiable black culture that is thrust upon us in the general scape uh, of things, it's like, wow. It becomes this trending topic. It becomes a thing that like it's in front of us. And it's like other people are like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. But for us, we're like, I can't believe this thing that we've always kind of talked about within ourselves is actually, you know, noticeably a trending topic on Twitter. So 
how does all apply to like what we're going to talk about today? Well, today we're going to actually address a number of different topics. We're going to try to talk about John Morant, Michael B. Jordan, Chris Rock, and even Tyler Perry possibly buying BET. And how does this all synchronize into black culture? Well, it does. Because they all represent different pockets of our understanding of how we see the world. It's a lot to talk about. It's a lot to address. And because of that, I didn't want to do a prolonged opening because I wanted to get right into it. So strap up. Because as the opening song says, we are going ultra black. Welcome on Culture Bias Podcast. If you're tuning in for the first time, first of all, I don't know why you're tuning in for the first time, but welcome. And we appreciate new listeners giving us a world. But, you know, as we like to say, uh, you know, welcome, welcome, welcome. On our show, we say culture is a matter of perspective and opinion. After all, culture is another way to say discovery. We are on culture. We are biased. We are black. And, you know, with that being said, I'm not even going to get into the whole opening of it. I'm just going to get right to it. My man, Rob, what's going on, bro? What's going on, Cam? What's good, bro? Yeah, so I didn't want to do a whole opening thing. I know I kind of like, that's kind of one of my shorter openings, but we have a yeah. lot to talk about. So Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I do want to warn everybody, we're going to get into talking about Creed, um, and but not necessarily the plot points. We'll, t- we'll talk about some of the plot points, but I wanted to focus in on, you know, what the franchise means and then what, you know, why it was so important for this franchise, especially what the Rocky franchise meant for like, let's say, just white America. Right. And how major it was that Michael B. Jordan or even Ryan Coogler and Ryan Coogler's brother took this franchise and made it identifiably black. And it's like it's not talked about, but I think it's something that we should talk about. Right. So um, I want to preface this by saying I didn't really talk to Rob about Creed. Right. Because I wanted to. We both saw it. We both saw it this weekend with our. With our families, but uh, we did purposely did not discuss it beforehand. They don't want to talk about it because I wanted to hear, you know, so fresh thoughts from Rob. Um, what I can say about Creed is that my wife, and I'm sure your wife enjoyed it very much. <laughs> I'm, yes, that she did. That she did. <laughs> she, probably could, she probably could have watched the movie on silent if it was. <laughs> it would have had the same feedback. <laughs> it would have been an amazing movie. No notes. <laughs> Perfect movie. Very riveting. <laughs> Very riveting. <laughs> I love when the Joker got with Batman. <laughs> um, no, but listen, I, I want to hear your just your quick thoughts about like about the movie, and then we can go about general themes about the entire franchise. Yeah. Um, walked out of the movie theater. I thought that uh, entertaining and a stronger storyline than Creed 2. Um, really enjoyed the story that was created here. And I would say um, just as interesting as Creed 1, mm. uh, which uh, was a very, you know, which launched this franchise and kind of gained momentum. I think caught a lot of people off guard because you know, we, we I remember when Creed one came out and uh, people were skeptical at first because, right. all right, how, how are you going to flip this Rocky franchise for a new generation? Um, you know, what is this really going to be? And um, 
I think it came back with pretty positive reviews the first time around for Creed 1. Creed 2 was kind of mild. Um, You know, the reviews weren't as strong for that one. But I think this was a very strong conclusion to the trilogy. Uh, Enjoyed the... um, I guess you call it action or the the fighting scenes. I thought they were very well orchestrated um, and uh, to the point where um, so 12 year old son, we're in the, Hey, live, you know, teach you how to, how to box this, mm. you know, I need to make sure my son knows how to hold his own, right. not set, telling you to go out and pick fights, but I need you to know how to hold your own. Did you do the whole, everything. did you do the whole uh, pops from Friday? Back in the day, we, we fought with these. These, you son. fought with these. <laughs> these, son. You, you, you. <laughs> both, both, both men survive both. and you live you to live. see another day. You see another day. <laughs> <laughs> it was, my, my speech is more like, hey, don't let nobody punk you, son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, man, I'm going to show you to throw some hands because I, yeah. I can't have you getting your ass whooped. That's it, that's pretty much what exactly. it was. Right? Okay, that, yeah, that's yeah. the lesson that yeah. I teach. Yeah, that's the lesson I'm trying to teach. So you know, we're, we're going through the basics. We're going through the jabs and the hooks, and so of course, I I made sure we had a little uh, box sparring session before we went to go see this movie, yeah. and it actually worked out perfectly because, um, you know, I, it's not always about the knockout punch. Yeah. It's the small intricacies that makes a great boxer. It's paying attention to knowing how to counterpunch. Okay. It's knowing how to strategize in the ring. And um, I won't give up too much, but for those that haven't seen it yet, but for those that did see the movie, you notice the emphasis on strategy in yeah. the ring. So, and that's something I really did appreciate in the movie. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that because I'm actually, you know, I'm a huge boxing fan. And mm-hmm. what I want to say is this movie in particular was a better boxing movie boxing. as far as Definitely. the way there were little things they did. You can tell like we wanted to get the art of boxing a little bit better. Now, I think Creed one mm-hmm. was a, was a probably a better, I like Creed one the most. I still like Creed one. Okay. The first I, I Creed two. It was, it was cool. It wasn't that, but I Creed three, I think, I think there were other elements of Creed three that made it a really great movie. Um, when you step back from it, and it's it was because of the the themes that they brought in, right? They talked about mental health. Um, you know, they talked yes. about. I mean, obviously, let's just call it what it is. You know, the allegory of Damien, right? And dealing with the de- devil of your past, the demons of your past, right? And then how they make, you know, it's like it's right on the nose. That's why his name is Damien, right? And he's and you know he's he's cropping yeah. up, and it's like how do we address those things and the fighting of that, and like and letting you know we talk it, the themes of letting go of your past and not letting it bring you down and trying to and attacking it head on and not feeling guilty about your past and letting that guilt of your past take and being over. comfortable, yeah, and being comfortable. I think those yeah. things were, yeah. And right. being comfortable to talk about it. Right. Right. You got to be comfortable enough to talk about it with your, with those, with your loved ones, with those people that you trust right. around you. Right. Um, it took a lot for him to even get to the point where he could openly discuss right. this 
major part of his past and his history. So definitely, definitely, I feel like it should speak to a lot of, especially the black male community. It should really speak to, you know, things that we need to address in the black male community. So I'm going to tie that back into the later on conversation. We talk about Chris Rock. Okay. Okay. Um, Because it it talks in, it talks about, again, how to, you know, there's a, and again, we're, we're in spoiler territory here in that movie. Um, they talk about, you know, Michael B. Jordan's daughter and 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 and, and his his wife tells him it's like we can't have her just not, you know, expressing herself in an appropriate way. And when she's angry, she lashes out, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's important that it, they emphasize that yeah, you're a fighter, but that's not really how most people operate in society, and they don't go around just putting their hands on people. Right. And, right. Right. you know, we want her to protect herself. We want people to protect themselves. But that's not the normal. That's not a normal function of how to deal with negative things, negative um, things in your uh, surrounding you in your life. Right. And so yeah. I think that was an important message. I hope that wasn't lost on people. And, you know, learning how to think your way through it. But now, of course, now this is a boxing movie. So they didn't stay too heavily on that because they have to get to the fight. That's what people paid the money right. to see. Right. But I thought it was important that they talked about the other elements, especially within black community, within black culture of, you know, this necessity of keeping things bottled in and not expressing it in a positive way. You know, huge message, huge message that I caught in that movie. Right. Yeah. And I think that was the most important thing, like, you know, talking about the, um, you know, just again, expression of anger with from your past and how do we and how can we properly channel that? Um, so go ahead. I'm sorry, Rob. In addition, in addition to that, mm-hmm. many circumstances, especially in our community where when quote unquote, one of us makes it and the others don't, right. you feel a necessity or a need, which will take us to our other topic of John Moran later yeah. to that. You owe them something. Right. Um, that it's your fault that they fell into the circumstances that they fell in. Right. And taking that ownership on yourself when it's not yours to hold. Right. That's, that's their life decisions aren't for you to hold. Right. And, and so I think that was another uh, great storyline and an undertone that was created in message that was created in this film as well. He, um, uh, Michael B. Jordan's character felt a necessity and he felt like he owed something to, um, to, uh, Damien. Damien. Damien, And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And And to Dame. Based on him feeling like he owed, mm -hmm. he he owed him something. He made poor decisions. And so when we feel this guilt, about people, about things, we we don't think within our, we're acting with that outside ourselves. So we make really poor decisions, you know, and that's mm-hmm. just life. Like it's so it's like, even when you have to I'm facing a big, big decision for me, when I face a big decision, I have to feel like I have to step away from it a little bit because I don't want my emotion to govern my decision making, you know, and when right. you have your emotions and you have these things that are tied into it, like you have to separate your emotion from a big decision because it can be life altering. You know, and Definitely. so, you know, I think that's one of the things, again, we talk about the themes of divorcing yourself from the emotion of your past in order to make the right decision for your future. And 
Exactly. I, and I think that was important. So just st- doing a step back from this Creed and just talking about the, I mean, from this particular movie, Creed 3, I want to talk about why Creed was so important. Okay. And so, you know, it was, you know we talk about Rocky and what Rocky represented. Rocky represented the, the white Italian story, right? The the guy who, you know, the, the and it, it was always weird, right? Rocky, like, it was kind of a Philadelphians actually, their black Philadelphians really hated uh, Rocky when he talked to them. Because <laughs> I've they, heard that. Yeah, because they, they felt like, you know, you know, Joe Frazier, he was the real, you know, he was the representation of black Philly boxing, a black boxing yeah. or a black boxing racket in Philly. But this fake white ideal character became the face of Philly boxing. And it really pissed him off to the point where it was an offense that they had the statue, the Rocky statue at the top of the steps. And they yeah. had a, they had a, people wanted it moved. They were like, we got to get that thing moved because it's not, it's offensive that a fake statue at the top of the step represents Philly's hardness and boxing and all that. And it's like, that's not. And we had a real life black hero right. in our city. In our city, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, there was a, a, a and, and, you know, Joe Frazier comes from a, there was a long line of Philly, great Philly boxers. Um, that before and after him, but uh, Rocky, in a way, he represented the perfect uh, white American ideal. He wasn't as fast as Apollo Creed. He wasn't as he didn't have he wasn't as strong as Apollo Creed. But he had gumption. He and he and he knew how to take a punch. And he knew how, and he was a fighter. And he knew and he knew and you know he his it wasn't his skill that made him um made him better. It, it was his grit and his toughness. It was, his, it was his heart. It was his heart. <laughs> and, you know, it, in a way, it's like it counterbalanced how they looked at Apollo became the embodiment, how they looked at black athletes. Like, you know, you guys may be more physically talented and more flashier and all this other stuff. But what makes us special is our hard work and our determination. And, what, and that's how we're going to be better. And that's how we rise to the top. And, you know, Rocky, in a way, became white idealism. You know, for better right. or worse, and I'm, that's not saying I did not enjoy the Rocky movies. You know, I enjoy Rocky. Hell, mm. I enjoy Rocky three. You know what I'm saying? Listen, I I love Rocky three. You know, with Mr. T. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rocky three is dope, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I, I loved shit. I loved Rocky four going to Russia. You know what I'm saying? Who listen? Yeah. Rocky four has the best. Had one of the two best scenes. The the scene where Apollo and Drago, right? Yeah. And yep. you know, first of all, Apollo Creed coming down with with James Brown living in America, and then with the <laughs> and you know, what I'm that's a listen. That was a great opening um, coming into a ring. I had never seen that before. It still leave, lives rent free in my mind. And then Drago in the ring said, "If he dies, he dies." You know, if he dies. He dies. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen, don't. And then the training sequence in Rocky Four was yep. is going to the Russia and doing uh, the best things about Rocky movies is that the unconventional, the unconventional training. I was trying to figure out what the hell in the, in this Creed movie, why is he pulling a tra- uh, pulling a plane, you know? And I was telling I was like, it's just the way Rocky is. Rocky movies, you have to, you got to train unconventionally. They're chasing chickens. You, 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 Outside of the box, yeah, really. listen. You, you, you know, you're, you're punching trees. 
There's no reason. There's no rhyme or reason to this training methodology. But the, I, the, the thing about it is what made this so important with um, Creed is that, especially in Creed 1, which I think was like, oh, my God, because it right. was so black Philadelphia. Yeah. From the way from the 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 um the way they talked about. No, Why would you say John? How do you say like, you know, what I mean, like that was very decidedly right. Um the black, the the hip hop music, you know what I mean? They had Meek Mill, you know what I mean? All up in the, everything was black, was black culture infused within a white franchise, you know? And I thought that would, to me, was something that was so important. Um, and I, I really, I think I, I appreciated that. And it's, you know, shout out to Ryan Coogler, who, who never is afraid to put to central blackness in a white conversation. And, and I think that to me is what made what makes Creed so impo- uh, powerful and what makes this Creed franchise um, one of the most, I think, remarkable, especially considering it's the first movie that first sports movie to ever do a, like big box office numbers in American history. So you, 100 million opening weekend, they cracked 100. Their their whole budget was 75 million. They already surpassed it. You know, 100 million this weekend. And it's going to do more. It's going to do continue to do numbers. And. And it's important that you had two black leads in this movie, yes. you know, two black men, two black leads. So, you know, it's I think to me um, what Michael B. Jordan has done and what and how he's done it in this franchise, it deserves all its flowers. And I'm so happy and I really want you guys to really go out and support the movie. Um, and I just I know we're running. I could we gonna move on to the next subject, but I just want to say this. Um, what I also love about this movie and just being a boxing fan, the little things that they did um, with Damien spoiler alert. He's a big, uh, you know, he, he's a big uh, uh, George Foreman fan. And, mm-hmm. and the way he fights in that in the, in George Foreman, he, he takes on George Foreman's style of boxing. Yep. And the bruiser, the, yep. but, but also the way he defends, like the way he's defending in the ring and his positioning uh-huh. with his hand and he's guarding it's a it's a George Foreman style, so it's like it's little things that you know, and you see Jonathan Majors making clear choices, acting choices. I don't know if that was because of Michael B. Jordan or 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 it, it's it's uh, or you know, Ryan um, and yeah, Coogler. Ryan Coogler yeah. or you know, Jonathan Majors or maybe all combination of all three, decidedly making these three choices, these choices of we're gonna we're going to. Um, be very distinct in how we present this boxing. So I think I felt like if I'm going to break it down, Creed one was decidedly black culture. Creed two had uh-huh. the best training, but just best training, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and then Creed three had the best, best, bo- best boxing. All right. Last thing okay. about why I definitely agree with you. Creed three, best boxing. I love how even Jonathan majors character, how he targeted the shoulder. He targeted yeah. the the arm, the left, the power arm of his opponent. That's yeah. strategy. Yeah, that's that's the strategic part of boxing that people don't talk about it. Yeah. Um. So going into the movie, uh, well, before the movie, my wife was like, um, how is Michael B. Jordan supposed to beat up Jonathan Majors? Like, <laughs> I, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying how this is supposed to happen. Yeah. And when we came out the movie, she was like. I know what I said before. I like how they presented it because they made it believable on how Michael B. Jordan could 
finish the outcome of the movie. Yeah. So I thought I really do do agree that this was the best out of the series, the best boxing movie out of the series. Yeah, and I, again, I know we keep saying we're going to end on this this particular segment, but I just want to say that it goes to the old boxing adage of style makes fights. There you go. And, you know, a lot of times people think, you know, it, they look at the physicality of one boxer and they'd be like, oh, this person's going to beat it. But it's not. It's a lot of it's called a sweet science because within the framework of boxing, there's a lot of strategy. This was what made Floyd Mayweather su- such an effective boxer. He's doing little things in the ring that is hard. It's, it's noticeable to those who are paying attention to the casual. They're like, this is boring. But he's the way he moves his feet, the way he's not getting caught in the corner. Um, I you know his his shoulder his shoulder rolls and the way punches are yep. are never there because he's already because he's he understands the angling of, of I'm not going to be there when that punch is there you know when Canelo Alvarez fought him you know Canelo said after the fight he said I couldn't find him I <laughs> I couldn't find him you know that's someone who's who's studied you know and, and strategy so I mean I I think those things I mean Jonathan Major did a little bit of the shoulder roll in his fight yeah. You know, yep. and so like I when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, this is great!" So I, I again, I appreciated that so much. Um, all right, moving on. Yeah. Uh, during the course of this Creed weekend, uh, <laughs> uh, another thing happened, and that was uh, John Morant. And now a lot has been said about the whole John Morant thing, and I don't want to like beat a dead horse, um, because I mean it's it's talked about, you know, you know, kind of ad nauseum at this point. Uh, first of all, I just do want to say about the whole John Morant thing, though, is shout out to Black Twitter because <laughs> black that was you know it's had to be a top twenty Black Twitter moment. It had to be a top twenty Black Twitter moment because the amount of memes that came out and the 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 post I literally was dying. And it was it's so sad, but Black we can't take nothing serious because we literally. Well, this is a very serious situation, and I promise you, I was laughing for like four or five hours, based off of the content on Black Twitter. I don't know what. What do you think, Rob? I will remember this moment in time with two words: Jawick. Jawick. Listen, it's such a shame we'll never get to. We can't even use that nickname because it is such. It, it was so hilarious the way the amount it's of so memes. Bad, it was, but it's so funny, and it was so when appropriate. The Jawick poster. I was like, "Yo, I love my people." Listen, <laughs> listen, and the amount of content that came from the Jawick, you know, just commentary, and then, and then it was the commentary of him coming out of prison, and you know, like, like becoming a Muslim. It was like it was just hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious stuff! I promise you, I love Black Twitter. I would, I would. This, this. There are times where I'm like, I'm gonna delete this app because it's just nothing. It's just nonsense. And then it's like there are it moments, is. there are moments like that where you're like, I'm never getting off the damn app. I am never. But like a like a bad reality show, you just can't stop watching. You can't stop watching because there are moments where it's like, uh, this is. I I rather watch this than watch what's on TV, right? <laughs> so, right. Right. Um, but. You know, talking all seriousness about uh, John Morant, like, what were some of the things that you thought um, that really hasn't been discussed? That it's something that would so readily apparent about this entire situation. Yeah, in 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 this situation, the thing that stood at when I after the initial news came out, 
And we hear the story of, and we saw the IG live video that was, that was circulated online and everything. Um, one, my first question was, who is your support system? Yeah. Who, who is your support system? Who, and this is where, especially for our young athletes, the importance of your entourage in the, in the company you keep. And, I don't. I want people to understand it's not just for athletes. Also, I want this for our young men and women. Also, my my young black sisters and brothers. Also, you gotta watch the company you keep, and you gotta be mindful of what you do, where you do it, and how you do it. Right. And um, it was very disheartening to see because I'm a you know, definitely have been a fan and I, yeah, I will yeah. remain a fan because yeah. I want to see how he overcomes this. Yeah. So this yeah. is, this was, unfortunately we had to see someone's life changing moment unfold in the public eye. Yeah. We've all had these moments. We've ha all had these times in our lives where we hit rock bottom. Well, not rock bottom, but we've had moments where they were, Life altering, life altering. Uh huh. Yeah. I like. That. Yeah. I, I don't think yeah. it's rock life bottom. I'm not going to say rock yeah. bottom. Yeah. Life altering, where you come to a crossroads, yeah. so to speak, mm -hmm. and in that crossroad, which that are you going to continue down the path that you have been treading on, or are you going to make a turn yeah. for the better? And I really do hope that this incident in this situation is an eye-opening experience for him yeah and i hope he comes out as a better man because of it because i really want him to be successful i know we get our jokes off and everything but when it's all said and done i don't want this young young man with such a bright future and so much promise and 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 um and just energy and in life i don't want his life to go down this darkened path any longer so you know the thing that stuck out for me was was interesting and i realized I, I this is me sounding old but i was like damn man like what is this like infatuation where he naturally defaults to wanting to be representing a certain imagery yeah you know and and that's kind of what i was where i was at with it i was like and but i it's, he's not it's not foreign I've literally have grown up with people who were from the suburbs or didn't come from certain backgrounds, but the natural appeal, and I'm talking about black, you know, it's like the natural appeal to want to be harder. You know what I mean? To want to be from a certain level, from come from a certain element, representing from a certain element. And I know from my experience, I know I can think of individuals in high school. Um, yep. There's a gentleman who I'm thinking about who was a valedictorian. And uh, quick story. So he, valedictorian. Oh, he was. Oh, he was online to be a valedictorian. You know, he we were junior year, and um, this guy, you know, had two different appeals to to the white teachers and to his parents. He was well spoken, whatever. But to us, you know, it was like he had a totally different way he presented himself. And you operate, and you know, and I'm young, so I'm like in awe, of like, oh man, you, the way you kind of like, 
you to to one to one side of the world you're like this way, but to the other side you're like you just totally different persona. And I major switch, major, <laughs> major code switch. And I remember one day, um, we were in the car. No, I'm sorry. We I was at, they were they come came to pick me up, and um, it's because there was an incident at school between another group, and they came to pick me up to go fight these people. Right? I didn't really want to fight, but I really wasn't because I really wasn't about, really about that life. But you know, I'm just like, let me jump in this. I'll jump in the car. So I jump in the car, and I remember, um, you know, he pulls out in his car. In the car, you know, he had a gun in his in his uh in his pants. Like it was a like I don't, it was like a long gun. I don't even know what I think it was like a I don't know what type of gun that was. I just know it was long. You know, what I, mean? I don't know if it was a shotgun or what. And I remember thinking to myself like I thought we were just going to there to fight. Like, you know what I mean? I didn't know there was going to be guns. And I was literally one of them, like, one of them boys in the hood, like, yo, let me out the dog. Let me out the car, dog. Let me out the car. <laughs> let me out the car. You know what I'm saying? Let me out the car, dog. Like, I had a moment. I was like, this is this is way more, this is bigger than what I what I needed to be. The point is that I got, I got let out the car. And this is before cell phones because I'm old. Um, and so I find out the next day. That they didn't actually make it to the fight because they hit a speed bump and the gun went off and shot his leg. Now, here's the thing. It it shocked everybody. When I say everybody, it shocked the teachers, administration, and it shocked his parents. Because they're like, there's no way, and this guy's name was Rob, actually. There's no way, Rob. What is he doing with the gun? What's going on? Who is like who is this person? I am yeah. shocked, you're right? And his whole persona came down. And it, after that, he went from straight A student to like flaming out of high school because yeah. his entire persona was, you know, was taken away. Um, but the thing was, I never understood. He said, what was Hold on, Rob, you're breaking up. What'd you say? Uh, I think you're going through a little going through a, a bad spot because your internet um one thing i will will say yeah okay i'm good yeah let me just say one thing i will say is that the the problem i think i always could never reconcile is that he came from literally a two-parent household and i'm not saying two parent two-parent but he was like i'm i lived in the suburbs he lived in the suburbs and as I've gotten older and older, I was like, what was this attraction to him wanting to be? Why did we deem that cool? And I, I parlay yep. that against the Michael B. Jordan because there's often the thing of Michael B. Jordan, them saying that, you know, corny. He, he's corny. And the mm-hmm. ideal of what is not, what is like, what is corny in black culture? Why, why do we, in black culture, why do we connect if you're not? "Quote unquote street." If you're not hood enough, then you're corny. Like there's no in between. Right. I can't. I can't. There's no. There's no middle ground here. Um. I saw it all the time growing up in the DMV, um, DC, Maryland, Virginia. You know, grew up in PG County, mm-hmm. uh, raised in PG County. We're the burbs. PG County is the burbs. The most affluent black. Yeah city in the nation yeah. it is the burbs however 
you have Northeast DC, Southeast DC, right down the street. Right. I can't tell you how many robs as to your story mm-hmm. we had in PG County. Yeah. You have a two parent. You're in a two parent household with a garage. And that's let me, let me just say, not even say a two parent because I don't want to keep harboring. Yeah. You keep coming from yeah, a single parent sir, household, sir. Your house is worth over 300, 400 K and you have a garage, a two car garage. Right. Right. You're not struggling. Right. You're not struggling. We had plenty of make believe want to be quote unquote thugs in PG County. And it's just, it always confused me because you're trying to live up to this ideal blame it on, you know, is it, is it the music that we, that we uh polarize is it the the movies that we polarize that we deem quote unquote cool but when does it just like why do i have to be either a nerd or a thug like where why is there not a in between why can't i, I you know I, have I, an understanding of both both cultures both well, backgrounds i'll tell you what it is honestly and i know this sounds really crazy it's White supremacy. And hear, mm-hmm. hear me out because within society, we have this weird thing of black people. We've lost our identity. We came here when, when our identities were severed. And so we ever since we came here severed, we had to find ourselves and identify ourselves within a framework of white society. And then compound that with the way how white society perceives us and per, and puts things on us that we often tend to live within the labels of how society has conditioned or has really patterned our entire scope of being. Right. And so, and I'm not really, I'm not using it as a scapegoat, but uh, Jada kiss had this thing, man. He said something the other day, he talked about how uh, the music companies ruin music. And he said, you know, you blame these artists for coming out, and, you know, putting out this thing called drill music, he said, but what you don't understand is that this white executive saw that, you know, these dangerous music, these dangerous lyrics, these dangerous music, and he saw it got great numbers. And he said, I want to continue to promote that. And he said, so he said, music became this thing. He said, why well, there's no variance in music anymore. And all this, the music is sounds the same. And it, it doesn't really, it doesn't change because these companies said, I'm going to exploit only this particular aspect of hip hop. And I'm going to make, th- I'm going to pump that up and I'm going to put money into that. I'm only going to get this particular artist and I don't, w- I'm not going to care about other artists talking about other things. Right? right. And as we know about black culture, it is black culture is a cornucopia of experiences. And, you know, but when you have only a certain aspect of black culture that's represented and that is the thing that trends, that is the thing that moves the needle. Then you have younger people and impressionable people, but say that, okay, I identify with that because that's going to make, give me more appeal. And I think that's really, I think that's really what's happening. Um, And I'm not blaming, I'm not taking it off a job, but I'm talking about in a grander scope, uh, scheme of things, you know, you and I, we grew up in an era of hip hop where we can, De La Soul just, uh, just had their streaming uh, rights given back to them. We were able to consume p- things like De La Soul and Tribe Called yeah. Quest. 
and yeah. still listen yeah. to like Biggie. And we had so much variance in how we interpreted music. You know, this is why someone like Kendrick Lamar is so important. It was a balance. Was it, a balance. It, it created a balance in ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a balance. Mm-hmm. And I think what's happened is in society, we've in content and consumption, we've lost that balance. And then and we already, as a black society, struggle with black identity within the framework of white society. And so when you don't have, when you struggle with that, and we struggle with how, like, you know, um, thoughts of how to be um, macho or how to be strong or how to be, you know, how how to, you know, be a leader. These things are already clouded in the black and black, especially black male identity, you know? Definitely. And we'll talk about Definitely. that in the next segment, talking about Chris Rock and Will Smith. But, like, black male identity is such, it's so tenuous, you know, that compound that with being young and then having money and famous and then having all these people around you telling you this is what makes you I love when you do that shit you kind of lean into this identity that really may not even really be 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 your lifestyle definitely and, and I definitely. and, and that I want to argue I want to say that this is coming from someone like you and I Rob we talked about it a lot offline how much Allen Iverson was so important for us I was just going to take us to that because Ja, Ja is this generation's Allen Iverson. To put it in perspective for people that may not be, you know, huge NBA fans, but have heard about this Ja Moran story. Mm-hmm. If you remember with, back in the day, um, you know what Allen Iverson meant to the culture. Yeah, and con- and conversely, I know we celebrated him later on. But early in his career, we did not celebrate Kobe Bryant. No, because they because we talked about how he was corny. And we compared mm-hmm. him comparatively to Allen Iverson. In fact, Kobe was booed at the All Star game that was happening in Philly. Exactly, exactly. Kobe was the antithesis to Allen Iverson and what he represented in black culture and street culture yeah. in the NBA. And we deemed him corny and we deemed him a sellout. And like, who is this kid that speaks all these different languages? Why do you speak like that's not cool? That's not that's not that's not street and everything. And so, you know, the clean cut image, he was he had a clean cut image and it was the clean cut image. And the same thing that Michael B. Jordan, he had a clean cut image. And so there, there. the sex appeal of that clean cut image is driven away. But the funny thing that happened with Kobe and it would happen in life as it happened with me. And I'm sure it happened with you. That clean cut image became sexy and Mm -hmm. it became Mm -hmm. identical. And then as people, people matured, they were like, I kind of like that look, you know, I kind of like Kobe. I I kind of like, I'm I'm cool with, I'm cool with him. I'm cool with it. I'm cool with the look. You know, and we we still got love for Al Iverson, but people kind of grew up into identifying, and and we and then Kobe became beloved, and we started appreciating for what Kobe was, and stop start yeah. and start the extraneous things that the labels that were put on him that wasn't fair. You know, we and into his part too, he started getting more comfortable around his peers because he was kind of standoffish. Definitely, you know, but even. Even Kobe would admit he was a loner. He would right. be kind of standoffish in his own right as right. well. Um, but later on in his career, he developed more relationships with his peers. And now, 
Um, thankfully, um, you know, he's so beloved uh, by not only his peers, but a whole generation after him. So I would say this about Kobe and, and, and then just to wrap it up real quick. Um, what I think would happen with Kobe and I could I've, I've said to myself, Kobe didn't see himself in other in his environment. And so it probably mm-hmm. made him uncomfortable to like identify with people within that NBA structure because remember the NBA in early 2000s late ni- late 90s early 2000s was different a different scope and like it, Iverson represented that that identity Kobe did not and I think yeah it probably was yeah, more of a global worldly view yeah of life. it was a mm-hmm. it was, and I think as as NBA progressed and matured and people matured and Kobe matured it started to merge into that the these things started to merge, and I think the same thing with me. Sometimes I find myself not seeing myself in in the world, and but as opposed to withdrawing from it, I kind of pour myself into it to understand it a little bit more, to you know me, so I can identify with it, or I can find myself identifying with certain sectors of society in the world. So, um, I would Ja. I just want to end on saying that man, I I I'm I'm glad he's he's. Uh, acknowledge that he's not he's not in the best place yeah and that he's gonna try to progress and i like again i don't judge him for you know what happened i think this is he's only 23 and he's gonna look back at it and he's like yeah. you know what i'm glad it happened the way it happened because i was able to salvage my career and my livelihood you know and all that so um definitely you know just moving on to the next I want, I, what, what was that rob i want this young brother i want i just Last thing, I, I want this young brother to, I want this to be a um, part of his story yeah. of success. Yeah, this I just want this to be a footnote. Yeah, in his success, in his story of success. So, so I'm praying for him. Mm-hmm. I want him to come out of this stronger, better, wiser. Right from this. So I want to um, talk about. We talk about black men and how they deal with trauma trauma in their life and transition mm-hmm. into Chris Rock. I didn't watch yeah. the special. Um okay, let me start. Let okay. me start off. Let me start off because I've got some um very interesting insight that I want to share with you okay. about this. So, um my best friend Carlton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh you know, I he's a uh, he's post. a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yep. So, you know, he's a, uh, my best friend. He's a stand up comedian in the Washington, D.C. area. Mm-hmm. And um, so Carlton is a student of the craft of comedy Yeah. to the point where he doesn't even watch. He doesn't watch a stand up special like the common viewer. Yeah. He watches it from the aspect of, oh, how did he um, how did they how did the comedian put these jokes together how did they craft these yeah. jokes how do you do a callback yeah. from your from how you started off the special to how you ended it all of these little intricacies that happens in a comedy special that the common fan doesn't look at yeah he view, he looks at all these things yeah so he actually saw this chris rock live in washington dc on this during his tour of this set and i i want to preface i saw him live in orlando and okay. I, I do want to say go. that rock, i know we're, we have segmented but i kind of want to spend a little bit extra time on chris rock because this is such a this such a dense subject but keep going 
definitely, definitely. And um, so what Carlton told me was that in when he saw this set, it was tailored pretty much the same, but the part that everybody's talking about, the Will and Jada yeah. part at the end, he said there was a certain, it wasn't as visceral. It wasn't as blatantly aggressive as what we saw on the Netflix special. I agree. It was more witty. Yeah. It was crafted a lot better. Yeah. And he said, you could tell he allowed his emotions to get the best of him in the Netflix special. And that's where we got the visceral, the hard sound bites calling Jada out her name, which I really did not like. Yeah. Um, and that's what we saw on Netflix. But when he was touring with it, he didn't. It did not come come off that harshly. It, did you see the same thing in Orlando? So yeah, I'm gonna say number one. I'm gonna say start off by saying it when he did mention it, it wasn't angry. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw this, you know, the clips, I was like, oh, wow. Like, that was angry. That was really different from what did what received. So I want to talk to, I'm, I'm not a comedian, but I feel like I'm a student of comedy. And I do the same thing that Carlton does. I, Ivory would tell you when I'm watching comedy, I very, I very rarely laugh because I'm processing so much information about why they say that joke. Mm, could they have set that up a little bit better? Uh, and Ivory would tell you, I'll literally say, uh, the joke would have been better if he would have said it like this, you know, mm-hmm. like I'll literally I overthink comedy a lot. Um, I just don't and to the, I just don't sit there and just laugh, you know, about right. things. And so and so to make me laugh about, you know, and you, 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 you get on me sometimes like you can you be thinking too much. Like I just don't laugh. I don't I just don't. <laughs> laugh. And so to make me laugh, it's like a, it, not to say I'm anything, but to make me laugh is like a high accomplishment. Because I'm like, oh, I didn't anticipate that. That was a great joke. I love the way you set that up. Great timing, right? It's like boxing. Timing is everything. Because a joke you can't yeah. land if you can't time it. You can't hit it right. Um, right. So we went to the, the Chris Rock show um, mm-hmm. in, in Orlando. And I, admittedly, it was right after the slap. So obviously, you know, we were like, all right, well, let's, let's see what he's going to say. And, you know, I remember going into the, I haven't been a fan of Chris Rock in like last several years. Mm, okay. You know, Cause uh, I haven't, so I've kind of was like, God, I'm about to go see this Chris Rock show. Really don't really want to go see him, but you know, I already paid these money for the tickets. So we'll, we'll go. And I was like, all right, it was, it was cool. It wasn't like, I wasn't dying laughing, but I was like, okay, I didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like I wasted my money, but I didn't feel like it didn't move me to where like, I remember his jokes. I'm going to get to that point at the moment. So Saturday night, we just came home from Creed, and I was like, "Oh snap, Ivory, yo, Chris Rock is live." Listen, and she was we, so she's like, "Are right, we turning on?" Within five minutes, Ivory's like, "I mean, I don't really want to watch this." You know, it's in the middle. Of the, it was, and it was the same jokes. It was like, but understandably, because we've already seen it. Here's we've already the, seen it. Yeah, you've already seen it. Here's the thing about it: it's not because we've already seen it why we didn't want to watch it. It's because. They weren't memorable. And I tell you, here's the thing about comedy. Yeah. Good comedy, great comedy, you don't mind watching that stand-up special again. Great comedy, you don't mind watching Martin. You don't mind watching, Mar- how many times have you seen old Martin episodes? And we right. still laugh. 
to the Martin episode. We still laugh to like older, like hell, the living single. We still laugh to like great comedy. You know, we still laugh to certain Fresh Prince things. You know what I mean? So like good comedy is timeless. Right. You know, whether it's standard specials or just TV shows. It wasn't a timeless thing that we saw. Like the jokes were kind of like, eh. Uh, I chuckled. I remember chuckling when I saw when I saw it in person. We were sitting there like, eh, yeah, this is okay. It's okay. It wasn't time. Yeah. Eh, uh, I guess that's humorous. Yeah, that's, that's okay. That's humorous. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, I say all that to say that something's happening with the comedians of our generation. They've gotten less funny from Dave Chappelle. To Chris Rock And They have gone into spaces Where I don't know like what's happening But they've gone into spaces like Dave Chappelle to become just, They've gone into venting spaces Right and I will, right. And I will say Man like I'm, I'm on the I'm in the minority when it comes to this Especially when it, you know with my age Demographic I feel like Their conversations are always centered On the on white perspective and Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock in particular, and I've always felt, especially Chris Rock, um, he's the guy whose comedy is designed for the for a white audience to look at a to for a white audience to look at a black perspective or for, to understand black culture to understand black culture, not even understand a black perspective, but understand black culture. Hmm. But he's not a comedian. That centers black culture for black people, you know. So, so he's the uh, he's the Kenya Barris of comedy. He is the Kenya Barris of comedy, and so, <laughs> and so, very, very well done, sir. Because there's a there's a joke between Robert and I and our other friend Ken about that. But yeah, he is the Kenya Barris of comedy, and I will say, you know, he's the guy who he he's the 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 guy in the room, the black guy in the room, who gives white people the vehicle into black culture. Mm. And that has been his shtick for the last 15, 20 years. And then Dave Chappelle in the same way is, has done that the same way to the point where I felt like with Chris rock, it was this comedy special. When I look back and I think he would, if he had really any introspection, there was a missed opportunity because instead of railing on wokeness, Still a railing on, you know, the this identity politics. Mm-hmm. Elevate the conversation. Really elevate the conversation and really take it to a space of like, I rather you know with the whole Jada and the Will thing, it would have been smarter for him to say, you know, I reflected on that moment, and here here's where I went wrong. Here's where I, and I'm I'm the person who I've never agreed with Will Smith slapping him. I've I've always said there's a time and place. I never right. was on that tip. I know a lot of people say, yeah, I'm glad he slapped him. Now nah, I don't agree with that. Now here's the thing: the the irony with Chris Rock. He said, oh, we were we were, um, we were taught not to allow not to fight in front of black people, not in f- fight in front of white people. Yeah, I'm gonna play a clip. About why the that statement rang deaf on me. 
<laughs> He's the blackest white guy I well, fucking know. And, I'm, and then all the, the negative things we think about black people, this fucker. You're saying I'm a nigger. Yes, you are the niggerest fucking white man <laughs> I have ever. Oh, amazing. Oh, I, I don't think he, he could do that. Oh, what? I don't oh. think he has those There's qualities. There's only two. You, I, never I, I mean, no, you don't even understand. Really? You don't, you don't really know him. Like, you I've worked with him. No, like you're a bit no. about... Uh, no. I wouldn't use it anywhere. No, exactly. These two... These two we say nigger on stage. On stage. <laughs> you guys don't. That's a, yeah. It's, it's yeah, that's the two teams that's here. That's the difference between... Like yeah. That's right. That's right. We say nigger on stage, you guys But that's definitely a pairing. Who, who we says say, nigger on stage? We don't. Well, you just you, did. Yeah, That's right. Uh, yeah. Okay. You and me say no, nigger no, in not, private. No, no. <laughs> these, two guys, <laughs> these two guys don't. I don't believe he says it in private. I'm much. giving it up just because it's played. I don't believe it's played. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you've ever said it probably in your life. No, no. No. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge difference between you and me, I think. Well, you found the humor of it. Yeah. I haven't found it. Right. Do Nor do I seek it. Right. I mean, so. so oh, my God. There's a lot of dissecting that one minute clip. I can't. We that's a whole nother pod. But okay. No. Who were the part involved? I heard Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld, CK, um, Louis CK, and Louis CK, and Ricky Gervais. Got it. Okay. So here's the thing about it. Ricky Gervais and Louis CK in particular, they're not even saying the N word with the A. They're saying with the hard E R. Hard R. Hard E R. And they're laughing. Mm-hmm. And in here you have Chris Rock, the only black person in, this, in the room, co-signing them, saying it, chuckling, mm. giving him full avenue into that particular black aspect. One thing that I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard this also, in that inner circle of comedians, there is dialogue that is had that would be deemed absolutely taboo right. by public standards, right? regardless of race, right. creed, religion. They have dialogue that is like- Uncomfortable. You would- Yeah. Very uncomfortable. That circle, the inner circle of comedians, and I've kind of learned this in my best friend being a comedian, it happens all the time where they have this dialogue that is just very cringeworthy yeah. dialogue. But they're comedians. So you notice how in that clip, you know, Jerry's uncomfortable. The exception of Jerry. I was just about to say, with the exception of Jerry, who was spoke up more than Chris did, that everybody else was perfectly fine with the the way this whole conversation was playing out. Right. And I understand that because when you workshop things, you have to go to an ugly place in order to find a beautiful thing, right? Mm-hmm. But I think what was really fascinating is that I think this is the embodiment of who Chris Rock is. Mm-hmm. He gives white people a safe space in black subjects. And then he allows them to feel comfortable enough to do things that are disrespectful. I've never once had a white person ever feel comfortable say the N word around me. They've never mm-hmm. said they've never felt comfortable enough to say that in front of my face. And there's a reason why. 
because they know it's that's you know no matter how much they may love a certain song or genre or even a film they know there's a line you don't cross and because they're comfortableness like i you just don't you're, you're never you're never gonna be that comfortable around me to think you can disrespect me do you feel that is why chris rock or part not not totally why but part of the reason he has reached the levels he has reached in his career compared to let's say a Cedric the Entertainer or Cat Williams who kind of that conversation you just played is probably going a little different with Cat Williams in the room but because Chris opens himself up to the white gaze yes to that level is that why he's reached the level he's reached in popularity? There's probably a certain element of that, but I will tell you this, man. Like, I want to. I don't want to. Let me first highlight Jerry. Jerry mm-hmm. is noticeably uncomfortable, but there's a reason why Jerry's uncomfortable. As a minority himself, a Jewish Jewish mm-hmm. American, he understands that you once you open that door to degradation of my culture, I can't walk you back into it. Right, and so. There's a reason why he's like, I'm not opening that door for another culture because once I say, oh, that's cool to say that, those are two white men, Ricky Gervais and, you know, Louis C.K. They don't have to, they don't, the, the door has already been opened to degradation. They don't care. Yeah. They, there's nothing for them to protect. There's no protectionism within their culture, right? But Jew, uh, Jerry's not going to allow you to decidedly talk crazy about Judaism. Mm-hmm. And Jewish people He's not going to do mm-hmm. that He's not going to do that Right and so what he's not going to do Is laugh at something where he knows Okay I'm uncomfortable I know this is uncomfortable this, this is kind of a forbidden thing We're not supposed to be talking about this Yeah and I, and I Regardless said, of who we are And whether yeah. like This social circle that we're in Yeah he said And he said And he said I don't I don't find the funny in it I don't look to find the funny in it Mm-hmm I don't look to be in a space that I'm not supposed to be in. Whereas Chris Rock gives them a passport and they feel with that passport, they can travel Did all, they? they can travel all through and, tr- and trample all throughout blackness by saying, and saying the hard ER. So I thought it was disingenuous when he says, my parents taught me, taught us never to fight in front of white people. Did your parents tell you it was okay for white people to say the hard ER and you for you to chuckle and laugh? Mm. Because I'm sure they would have a problem with that. So you miss me with your sanctimonious bullshit when you say things like that. And which is what made the entire special a missed opportunity. And which is also highlights the fact that we have to stop giving people like Chris Rock the, 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 the mantle of thought leaders. Because as you look back at Chris Rock's career, he is not an intelligent person. And he admittedly is not an intelligent person. And yet he's often in society given a platform as black intellectia when it comes to issues of black culture. And that is a problem. Because Chris Rock does not represent the intellectual capacity of black culture. But he he gives a safe space for it. And I, I really, 
you know, when I think about things like about whole Chris Rock and he, he talks about Jada and he talks about Will. You know, the thing we you know, we don't have to go back over because I think we did a whole podcast about black trauma, but right. I really, really wish that he could have elevated the conversation into how do black people deal with pain and yeah how, and, and what that felt like okay and listen. you would think he'd be for to be a comedian at his level you would think he would be witty enough to frame that in a comedic format right to frame it and be like okay well we don't fight in front of white people but why was that so important why was it, why was it, you know, because what really hurt Chris Rock wasn't the slap. It was the fact he did it in front of his white coworkers because it took away right. from the, the uh, veneer that he was beloved within black, black um, community. He's beloved. Yeah. And I, y'all can miss me with the fact that, oh, well, it was in front of a black audience and they, they received it well. We know just because black people are present doesn't mean black culture is present. Mm. So don't say, I, it, say it again. Just because black people again. are present doesn't mean black culture is present. So yep. I don't care if the audience is ninety percent black, because at the end of the day, when you give an avenue to, you know, hate on or a, an avenue uh, of disingenuousness or an avenue of ignorance, regardless of color. It's not gonna. It's not gonna hit. It's not. It's not going to be. It, it's. It's not going to reach where it's, it's supposed to. And Chris Rock being, he centers too much of his comedy on the white perspective. Mm. You know, that's the whole thing. Railing on wokeism. We're. I mean, there's so much more important things to talk about in the world, bro. Wokeism is not a thing. That is not what's turning the table in in. Wokeism is not what's the laws. I mean, in fact, they're creating laws to stamp out black intellectual. Talk about that. Don't spend your time. Don't be talking. Don't spend your time talking about how identity politics and wokeism is how that's ruining America and selective outrage. Talk about the fact that the uh, the outrage in society is white people trying to eliminate black culture. That's the that's the conversation because you have the space to do so. You have their ears. You have literally millions of people who are tuned in, white people who are tuned in to hear your thoughts. So why don't you use your platform to uplift black culture instead of going in and then talking about something like Jada and and Will's marriage? That ain't got nothing to do with you. I that was the most disheartening part to me was instead of like like you said changing the narrative and taking a more wittier approach to the situation. You double down on the hate. Yeah. You double down. I don't think it's a coincidence that the, the aired special was in Baltimore, Jada's hometown. Obviously. Yeah. I don't think that was a coincidence. Which is whack. Um, so, and to the point where if you saw in the clip, he actually stuttered over that last joke mm-hmm. and, and misspoke. For you to be Chris Rock at your level in this game, yeah, that's like 
that's like Jordan forgetting how to how to dribble the ball in the final seconds of the fourth quarter. Yeah. For you to go so far and dig so deep into the hate that you had for this situation, whatever you felt it did to you in your public persona, in your public image, that you you even stuttered through your own stand-up special through it, just shows like, just like John Morant, maybe you need to take some time and kind of recollect, recollect in think about, Hey, what's my mental space right now? Right. As well. I, and figure out, and maybe think of, did I, did I hit the mark? Was I, was I hitting the mark? Yeah. I, 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 and I would tell you that I don't think he would, if he had to be honest with them, he didn't hit the mark. No. And I think if he had real people around him say, you know what? You missed the mark on this one. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the, probably the most uh, disappointing thing. So, um, you know, just again, yes. wrap, wrapping up on on Chris Rock, man. Like, I, at the end of the day, man, like I was disappointed. Um, there's nothing memorable. Um, I think it's it's unfortunate that, yeah, hey, you know what? He got his lick back. He he got he was he got to say things he wanted to say about Will Smith and you know Blase Squaze and all that other stuff. But it, to me. After a year later of this conversation, I was hoping that he wouldn't lean, he would have leaned into the elevator. But maybe, maybe, Rob, and maybe that's the problem. Maybe we gave him too much credit. Too much credit. Yeah. And maybe that goes back into what I'm saying that we shouldn't have elevated him as a thought leader because he's never really presented himself that. He's always been low hanging fruit. Good point. And. Good point. That probably was what I think the most disappointing and we talk about our comedians of this generation. They're too easily manipulated in attacking the low-hanging fruit of society. Whether mm-hmm. it's identity, whether it's transgen- transgender. Dave Special had like four specials on this shit. It's like there's so much other shit to talk about. Right. Literally so much other shit to talk about in this world. And you literally obsessed about it for like three or four specials. You know, like it's I think that's the thing that breaks my heart when I look at it, you know. Um, any final thoughts on Chris? Yeah, um, like you said, uh, it kind of makes you reevaluate the the mantle that we've placed him on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be, I'm gonna be honest. I thought his last special was wittier and funnier. Uh, his tambourine special, I thought that was much better yeah. than this special. Maybe because he focused on uh, more introspective dialogue about yeah. himself in his marriage. Yeah, I thought that was a very well done, witty special. That, that was better. That was much better. To what yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it was better. It was better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I agree, man. I agree. Um, I want to end um end the podcast on talking about late news, breaking news about BET, and yeah. so at first I was thinking to myself like. Uh, all right. I don't really. I, mean, I don't even watch BET. I didn't even know we had BET like a few months ago, like on our cable package. <laughs> like I don't watch BET. I don't watch it anymore. I, I don't, don't either. And so I don't either. So then I was like, I don't really care. Outside of the fact that hey, it's great that either Byron Allen or you know Tyra P- Tyler Perry and what you know, we don't know if you're talking about Tyler Perry or News Broken Variety. 
um, that either that Tyler Perry and or Byron Allen, who owns, you know, um, the Weather Channel and a lot of other um, mm-hmm. media conglomerates, both black men, both of them are trying to purchase BET separately. They're not trying to buy it um, conjunctively in, in the same. They're trying to they're competing offers. Um, and it goes into like how the mechanics of the buy in BET plus and all that and turning into a streaming. But Tyler Perry making offer and how Paramount's really interested in selling off BET in order to, you know, right. to booster up Paramount. Blase Squad's a business stuff. You know, at first, when you're th- thinking about it on a very surface level, I'm like, I don't even have BT. What are they even purchasing? <laughs> but, and I want to give credit to uh, my friend Lyndon because we kind of talked about it a little bit. We then kind of flushed out the thought, like, this actually could be great. And I tell you why. Okay, I don't really want to see the TPU, the Tyler Perry Universe creation. I don't want to right. see all that. I don't want, because, you know, I mean, but hey, you know, if I spend billions of dollars on a network, yeah, I'm going to put my own stuff in it. But maybe, and we talk about content, maybe this can be something special if he builds it up. Because I would love to see BET turn into, you know, something like the black MSNBC or, black, black, or, or the black, black news, black news or the black CNN. Black, uh-huh. When mm-hmm. ESPN was created... 45 years ago, 40 years ago, um, people were like, what the hell is a sports network? <laughs> right? Now ESPN is this big conglomerate. We don't know what, if Tyler, I, I don't, we don't know what the vision he has for, and or in Byron Allen. But what if the vision is to turn it into something larger than what, larger than what it is? Right now it's like, what the hell, nothing on BET. I don't right. really care for BET. Right. But I would love to see black content like you know the black black news you know like black centered news we talk about not centering whiteness in in how we receive information but news that centers on black america black culture even black even diaspora you know uh mm-hmm. what's going on in in, in in both the caribbean and in in um the continent of africa right like i would love to see those things i would love to see stuff as hbcu like sports like let's let's look at the MEAC. You know, you know the um, the different tournaments that are 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 um, in different HBCUs. I would love to see a boosting of that particular sector of Black culture that is often ignored. You know, um, I think Rob, I think you're kind of like stuck. Um, but yeah. I got, I got, yep, I'm back in. Yeah. I'm back in now. Yeah. To your point, um, when I first saw the article, it was the first thing that I thought to myself was black ownership. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how I feel about Tyler Perry, the content that he creates and puts out on BET, it's more about black ownership. Right. And like you said, the possibilities of what he can do with that platform where there is no one to answer to. Right. There is no one that he has to get approval for, for whatever he decides to put on. Um, you see this to a certain level with like Revolt TV, with right. what Diddy is doing with Revolt TV. And I, I would love to see Black entertainment television go back to its roots and really elevate us to another level 
um, in media that that can really, you know, in media, in news. Shoot, give me a um, all black, you know, sports, you know, perspective yeah. on on um, on on life. Right. And so, like, again, it's the ownership part that really stands out to me where there's no check. You know, we are our own checks and balance. Nobody else to answer to. And that's what intrigues me most about this news. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, listen, we grew up with when BET had a multifaceted um, content from, mm-hmm. you know, Eddie Gordon, you know, with B, yeah. um, BET. Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Um, hell, yep. Teen Summit, you know, yep. um, all, you know, even to like, you know, Caribbean Rhythms, you know, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? With Ray Shiloh, you know, so I mean, we had, we had so much content and it became a epicenter of black, uh, of the black voice on, in, on, on television. And I would love to see that particular thing again. And there's room for it, right? There's space for yeah. it. I think, honestly, leaning into it and being primarily a black, what it, what the intention of it, a black entertainment television and creating a content that is the entire scope of black entertainment. We talked we talked about with Jadakiss how, you know, certain companies pushed out a certain narrative and it destroyed music to a point. This could be the counterbalance, not just focusing on music, obviously, but focusing on the entire circumference of black the black experience right. and you know maybe if it's done right we'll we look back in 20 years like man yeah there was nothing i because i i don't even have bt i mean i we just found out we had bt i don't even watch bt but I, it might be in 20 years from now we'll be like that's the only channel we watch that's the go-to app that's the old that's whatever the go, that's the go-to streaming that's, service that's the go-to app yeah, yeah, that's a go-to streaming service. I don't even watch. I don't. I get my news from there. I get my entertain. I get my shows from there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I get my comedy from there. I get my music. I, that's that is what we watch. We don't watch any. Right. I don't, I'm like I couldn't even tell you what happens on CNN. Right. You know, and there's so much black talent out there that you know Tiffany Cross just got off MS, MS, MSNBC. Get her. Shit, you still got mm-hmm. Roland Martin. He's got you know he's getting cast off into it, oblivion with his his own show. Pick him up, you know. Melissa, him yeah, Melissa Harris Perry used to be on MSNBC. Pick up. There's so much black talent. Yeah, just on the news side of it, and the editorial side of it, that you can build up something special on that particular side of it. And then obviously with entertainment, there's so much scores of black entertainment have done right. Can really Kev on stage. You know what the thing with Kev on stage? I, I have Kev on stage mm-hmm. an app. I actually bought Kev on stage. I mean. I pay for it monthly. I never go on it. Only reason I do it because I support him because black know, ownership. It's black ownership. Um, but like, think about putting that content from Kev on stage content onto BET. You know, giving him a bigger platform to to yep. really expand his audience and expand his platform. Yep. Like so, like I think about things like that and what it can be, and I'm excited. So you know what? Like you know, shout out to Tyler Perry. Uh, listen, if I have to. Deal with the Tyler Medea, Medea thirty four, <laughs> the TPU, the Tyler Perry universe. You know, so be it. So be it. In exchange for what you know, um, what it can be or what it, you know, I'm, what it once was, what it once was. Yeah, you know, um, you know, I'm down for it. So I, this this uh, podcast ran over more than we wanted to, but it was a lot to talk about. It's a lot to talk about. Um, Rob, final thoughts. 
and everything. Uh, yeah, um, we covered a lot of topics, um, but I really like the dialogue that we had when it comes to mental health, mm-hmm. how we portray ourselves. So even though we covered a variety of avenues, I think they all had a common theme of kind of being self perspective. Yeah. And let's take a look at ourselves in the mirror and, and, and like really analyze what this culture is that we have developed and where are we really trying to take it? Yeah. 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 No doubt. Um, you know, listen, I took up a lot of y'all time. So I just want to say, man, listen, I know, Y'all used to me doing something every week. I'm not doing that anymore, as I said in my opening. But uh, when it comes to black culture, I'm always going to try to hold y'all down. I'm always going to try to, you know, ha- open up the conversation. Um, there's a lot more to discuss. We probably could. This probably could have been a three hour podcast. But <laughs> you <subjects>, could have. <laughs> the subjects that we we talked about. I, I mean, in Chris Rock in of itself, um, I could have gone 40 minutes just kind of dissecting the entirety of that entire situation. But um, at the end of the day, you know. Um, I just appreciate y'all for listening and I appreciate, um, you know, y'all holding me down in the support. And in that regards, I'm always going to hold y'all down. So that being said, I couldn't think of a better song to uh, write out to. So with that being said, to the next time, talk to y'all later. Like this, man. Hey, yo. When it come to text, I'm similar to a menace. But old dog sniffing king couldn't fuck with the damage that I do to a bastard. Keep fucking around. Won't be nobody strong enough to. Strong enough to. Yeah. I leave them in shock. Niggas get sentenced to life and stretched in a box. Most of my friends got murdered. And damn, I feel lost. Wish I was dead when it popped off. Up.